mission endures. We're in this together, better together. These are all words of wisdom, motivational quips to help us get through this rough patch. As of the release of this podcast, the state of Maine has had a grand total of 12,554 cases of COVID-19. Some of those may be people you and I know, some of which have been maniacs. Of course, in true maniac fashion, we have found ways to adapt and overcome. Leadership has set in motion numerous ways to mitigate this pandemic for our members so that we can stay safe and still continue fighting the good fight because we are in this together and the mission certainly endures. I'm Master Sergeant Andy Sinclair, and this is the Maniac Radio Show. In this episode, we'll hear from the Wing King himself, Colonel Matthew Barassa. He has some words he'd like to share with you and I in regards to the pandemic, as well as recruiting slash retention. We're also going to hear from our Sexual Assault Response Coordinator, Ms. Bobby Jo Rogers, and she'll talk about the SAPR program and the paradigm shift her office has made while still conducting the SAPR mission flawlessly. Two extremely important guest speakers with a very similar underlying message. Take care of yourselves and those around you. Be invested, be ready, and be safe. After all, we're in the holiday season. Spread the love. Six feet apart, of course. Up first, the Colonel. Here he is. Colonel, I want to say thank you for uh, for, for taking your time to, to come in, especially Thursday before drill. I know it's busy, so thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Appreciate the time. I just want to take a brief moment of time to discuss a couple topics. But uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone. Our sincere appreciation on behalf of Wing Leadership for everyone stepping up. Uh, it's been tremendous. We're very proud of everyone, uh, first of all, doing their part to mitigate against the COVID-19 pandemic. And secondly, continuing the mission. Uh, as other have taken a knee, we've picked up the slack and led the charge as usual here at the Maniac. So we're very proud of that. And uh, our hats are off to you for that. Thank you very much. And I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and happy holidays. Uh, Make the most of it that you can, of course. Uh, Chief Osgood has a great saying, physically apart, but together at heart. So run with that. That's a good one. I haven't heard that one. But uh, I just want to talk a minute about Well, recruiting and retention's on my mind every day, but uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about investments. And people think, well, what do you mean investments? Wall Street? No. Uh, It's kind of uh, along those lines, but an investment in the unit. Now, all the current members here obviously have a vested interest in the unit, right? Uh, Be it the mission, paycheck, of course, family, that sort of thing. But I want you to take a moment and just think about the future and to include after you've retired from here. What do you want to be your legacy? What do you want to see the unit? Do you want to see it remain a relevant, viable, uh, resilient, and ready to fight tonight unit? I know I certainly do. So uh, the other day we were discussing uh, innovative approaches to recruiting and retention. And uh, I have a friend down at uh, Bonnie Eagle High School He's a teacher, and he mentioned to me, hey, uh, why don't you uh, invite your folks to do a virtual tour of a shop or two on base, uh, and uh, we'll have the kids there, people we want to recruit, by the way, uh, and uh, it'll be informative and uh, enlightening for them. 
So we did it. It took a little bit of momentum, but uh, we had uh, South Portland on board as well, since Bonnie Eagle's down there around the Portland area. And uh, we had a very informative, I guess you'd call it show and tell, but a virtual uh, tour of the jet engine shop, the diesel shop, and some cyber uh, offices and what they do. And uh, the, uh, the kids loved it. Uh, our biggest problem here, of course, is and don't forget South Portland, the state of Maine, we are Maine's best kept secret here. And what I mean by that is, hey, we come to work every day, we know it's here, but most everyone else in the state of Maine do not know it's here. For example, yesterday we were on a call talking about recruiting and retention, and South Portland had just recruited uh, a brand new person, and I mentioned on the phone, I said, by the way, even as a member of the Maniacs for the first couple of years, I didn't know that South Portland location existed other than driving by it on my way to the airport of the mall down there. And the uh, member down in South Portland said, yes, well, the, the young man had just uh, signed up and raised his hand the other day, confessed that he had driven past here a thousand times and had no idea what was there. So unless we can get the Goodyear blimp over South Portland with the Maniacs logo lit up or borrow Joe uh, Bornstein's light over there on top of the building, we have to figure out innovative ways to get the secret out and share our secret. So what I would ask folks, think about somebody you know, and I know folks know people in the education field, for example, teachers, principals, administrators, guidance counselors, people that you know personally or through uh, you know, business relationships or in the community, that sort of thing, and invite them to share uh, with us some time to enlighten their kids, all right? Uh, we're looking for high school kids, obviously, Votech, college students, uh, and I would task you to try and pick one person, just start with that, that you know that would be open to hosting uh, some virtual tours with our people. And I think you'd be surprised uh, at the success we'll have and how that will help an investment in the maniacs, meaning more people will come in, young people that will replace you and I. And I'm absolutely fine with that because it does happen. I will be the first one to admit I am not irreplaceable, okay? And neither are you. So let's find the people that will replace us and make this a viable institution uh, for decades to come. We've talked about it before, sir, um, and I've heard you, I've heard you uh, uh, mention it quite a few times with the secret sauce. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit about that? It's uh, not really a secret. It's there if you look. What I mean by that, it's the essence of excellence that I see in every airman here at the wing and in South Portland and Augusta, across the state actually. It's uh, easy for me to see because I'm looking for it, but most of our folks just go about their job day to day and do what they do best uh, and don't realize how, uh, how much above the average public they are when they conduct themselves both uh, personally and professionally. Uh, but I see it and that's kind of what the secret sauce is. And how do we measure the secret sauce? Well, it's by our reputation. Um, 
you know, I would dare ask any AMC air crew, if they had to stop somewhere on the East Coast, where would they pick? The overwhelming response would be Maine, of course. And you can see it in 518. There's a little whiteboard up there, for example, and the crews that come by would write their name on there. Thanks for everything. Somebody started that, and then it was a whole whiteboard up there. So they appreciate that. And that's kind of what I mean when we talk about a, a global brand powerhouse that is the Maniacs. I know, for example, wherever I go, and where are you from? All, man all the maniacs. I've seen your stickers everywhere, right? Right, yeah. Okay, well, that's brand recognition. That's our logo. They recognize that as they would Coke, Pepsi, Home Depot, Apple, right? That's our logo. That's brand recognition. And when they look at that logo, they not only think about Maine, the maniacs, the location, but they think of how we help them execute the mission, be it the service they receive, the hospitality they received here at Bangor, or where we help them on the road somewhere, or downrange, for example, right? So when they think of that, the essence of excellence, that is the secret sauce. If I was contemplating on joining the Maniac Guard or joining the Maniacs, the biggest thing, right, is that I feel like one of the bigger competitions is, is active duty. Like, why would I, why would I, would I join active duty or would I want to join the Maniacs? Well. The active duty pull uh, for young folks, as I remember, is, oh, you know, I've grown up in Maine, I need to see the world, right? And active duty gives you that avenue to leave the state of Maine and, and see other states or countries, for that matter, go all over the world. And, and what people don't realize uh, until they've gone to active duty, experienced the active duty lifestyle, and then want to come back to Maine that they can do that right here. Yes, you'll live in Bangor, Maine or wherever. Uh, you know, we have people that commute from all over the country to come to work here. But let's say you want to be a full-timer. Uh, you can live right here in Bangor, Maine, for example, and, you know, deploy all over the world, go to great places in the CONUS, Alaska, Hawaii, wherever, right? Uh, you guys have had some great assignments in the PA office, right? That's kind of the message. I'm the first to understand younger folks, well, I want to go see the world and do this and that, sure. Okay. Well, when I say investments, don't forget there are long-term investments and short-term investments, right? So plant the seed. Hey, you can always come back home and we're here. You know, we had a lot of strengths not too long ago in our ability to recruit active duty folks from away. Uh, because A, they knew about our reputation, they recognized the global brand powerhouse that is the Maniacs, and they said, hey, I'd like to join that group of excellent people. And they would come in. We still do get folks from active duty. Uh, it's waned a little bit, but uh, it's still there, and we've planted those seeds. I myself was on active duty, and I first met the Maniacs on the road down in uh, at McDill in Tampa, Florida. Colonel Vanetta Stein, big tall guy, I don't know if you remember him. Uh, and uh, I, I was flying active duty, we were in base ops together, and I said, oh, Maniacs, how you doing? I said, I'd like to join there someday, and that was probably a good eight or nine years before I actually joined the Maniacs. Oh, how you doing? What's your social security number? They always asked you that. Really? Double O, oh, if it started with zero, zero, whatever, it would say, ah, hometown social. Oh, right? that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. But uh, those days are behind us. Uh, 
we don't we don't judge people on social hometown social security numbers anymore. Nor do we give them out that easily. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, you know that was planting the seed. I was planting the seed in reverse. Actually, I said I want to work with you guys someday. Okay. And then uh, I met him a few other times on the road at Randolph in San Antonio. Some maniacs were there. So uh, active duty folks are interested. So I think that's a big advantage for us. Yeah, it, you know, we just, uh, not too long ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, you were here in the office and, uh, and Major, Major Pampanella came in and we were, we were t I think she was grabbing a passport photo or something, but she, it just got me thinking. Um, I, I did an interview with her a few years back and she kind of told her backstory about how, did she come from Ohio? Or she came from out somewhere out west. Illinois. Right? Illinois. So the flatlands of Illinois, and she wanted to be a maniac, right? And she wanted to right. fly for the maniacs, and she and she tried, I think maybe a couple times or something. I can't remember how the story went, but that as that story that she had told that was probably five years ago. That I heard that story from her has always kind of stuck with me. That here you have this. Was she a boomer at the time, or was she maintenance? Yes, boomer, and she wanted to fly for us based off what she knew and the reputation that we had had, kind of everything that you've been talking about, which is kind of awe-inspiring and, and for somebody like myself who <clears throat> excuse me who came from security who was kind of sheltered like I didn't know I definitely didn't know we had an engine shop I didn't and what they did so you talk about that virtual tour I had no idea I definitely didn't know that we had a, a fabrication shop and maintenance doing 3d printing and cutting out metal parts and it's really kind of crazy um, thinking about it that way but I was on active duty my first assignment was to off at Air Force Base flying the EC-135s and uh, I wanted to go see the world, and guess what? The EC-135 doesn't go TDY. In fact, the joke was the TACAN is safety wired to channel 54 in the case of EC-135, meaning that you're not going anywhere out of range of the Offit TACAN. So we never went anywhere. Once in a blue moon, we would go somewhere. And when I was uh, young and ambitious then, I wanted to get to Germany, and uh, the closest I ever got to Germany on active duty was a 17-mile final to Ramstein. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. They wouldn't let us land there that day. We had to go back to England, but that's as close as I got. That's pretty deflating, right? Yeah. Plane. So folks go, oh, you like to go to GK. I'd love to go to GK because on active duty, I could never get there. When I joined the Guard, I went everywhere. So that's what I'm saying. We're a known quantity, uh, but uh, been to many great places here with the guard and I would ask people to develop your elevator speech. Do you know what an elevator speech is? I do. I, I don't have one, but I do know what okay. one is. Yeah. Right. It's a sales pitch. Basically think of yourself, you get in an elevator and you've got about 10 to 15 seconds to talk to somebody. Think of you walk into an elevator full of prospects, right? And you turn to somebody, Hey, what do you do? I do this, you know, and you've got about 10 to 12 seconds to sell that person before they either get off the elevator and gone forever or they stick around and say, tell me more. So, you know, an elevator speech I like to use, for example, as an aircrew person. Hey, if you want to look out your office window and see the pyramids, uh, Venice, the Alps, the Rhine, the Midwest, the Sierra Nevadas, join the guard, be a pilot. Does that sound interesting? Or would you rather look out your window and see the same old overpass every day. That's, right? a, that's a heck of an elevator speech. Yeah. <laughs> so wherever you work on base, develop an elevator speech. Because believe it or not, you are interesting. You may not think your job is interesting, but it is. 
And it's very interesting to young people. And they want to know more. I think that's the biggest appeal, right? Is travel. I know talking to other, you know, younger people, they they, they want to travel. You know, even my you know, I family members that say, you know, I, oh, I would join and I want to join because I want to I want to travel. I want to go places and see things. And you know, as you know, my brother's in the unit. He's six years younger than me, and he's he's already been on two deployments, two six month deployments before he was 24 years old. And and you know, and he has counterparts that are active duty and reservists that don't have that experience yet. So the experience that he's gotten just with the main air guard is is unbelievable. I think that when when talking when we're talking to you know these these uh, potential you know these prospects as you said that's that's my biggest approach is the, is the is the, okay how are they thinking I know why I joined you know and for whatever reason I, I know my reasons but why why would why would so and so want to join and and and, uh, and the challenge is I think is where. I think I think that's the most attractive thing for the, for our unit is the is the challenge behind it and, and saying okay yeah you get to travel it's great but did you know you get school benefits and you get this and that and the other um, oh and by the way because we're the guard you're going to be working with people who are experts in the civilian counterpart field as well so take CE for example you've got 60 different people down there that know how to swing a hammer 60 different ways but every single one of them is right and the experience down there and the TDYs that I've been on with them it's like holy crap like these guys are smart and you've got a chief down there that's a f former fine furniture maker in South Carolina and he know so he knows how to do all this crazy stuff and and when the beauty of this place is that when your time comes for a change and you want to change and there's other opportunities and to to be you know for retention and think and looking elsewhere um I think that uh that's what we you know I try to do is is to, is to spread the good word and show that there there are these shops out here that I never knew that we even existed in the military, let alone our guard base. But that's a great aspect you, you mentioned, and it's regarding retention. So, you know, I like to think of this as a family, right? So, in your family, if someone, say your brother, gets a new job, do you kick them out of the family? No. Right. So, people need to realize, well, you know, I'm not really happy at my current job, for example. All right. We have other jobs on base, right? Is there another job that you think may, you might be more passionate about, for example? And you're a real-world example of that. I said, okay, you know, uh, th this job's okay, but uh, I'm thinking of something else. Okay, no problem. Let's see what we can do for you. Because at the end of the day, we want you to be happy, right? So if we can get you into the right spot, that's great. And we're, we will work with you to do that. Also, folks, uh, when they have a life event, they get married or, or something like that, and they wind up having to leave the unit for reasons other than they don't like their current job or they couldn't get a different job, they have to go somewhere else. I always tell them, hey, the door's open. When you leave, we're gonna leave the door open, meaning that if you have a change of heart, six months, a year, two years down the road, and wanna come back, we haven't closed that door. Just because you left now doesn't mean you can't come back, right? So they need to know and realize, hey, if you leave and then want to come back, we will work with you to come back. Not a problem. Unlike downtown, where if you say, you know what, I've worked here 20 years and I, I think I'm getting done. You hang up the phone and security's there with the box. Here's your box, fill your box, you're out, you're gone. Just like the movies. Right. <laughs> it is just like the movies. Uh, that's not us, okay? 
And then, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people like to travel. I love to travel, but not everyone likes to travel. And there are many aspects to the maniacs that will appeal to younger folks. For example, leading edge technology, right? We talked about 3D printing, for example, and the leaps and bounds we've made in just a few years in, in 3D printing. And oh, by the way, do you know where the largest 3D printer in the world happens to be? California, right? Nope. Arano, Maine. <laughs> Arano. I like, I like that. <laughs> or otherwise known as UMO, right? Yeah. yeah. They have the world's largest 3D printer there, by the way. And uh, Professor Habib Dogger, fantastic. Leading the world in 3D printing. Hey, that might be important technology. So I want you to think about we should connect with those kids up there and the young adults that are working with him and his team on 3D printing and say, hey, by the way, we have a 3D printer here. And then just think about it further. What are the possibilities? Could we not, uh, do we have the real estate here, for example, to set up a 3D printer and start printing KC-135 parts, for example, and be the place, the 3D printing factory on earth for KC-135 parts that seem to be kind of hard to get? We could. Right? We could put that together. So people need to realize, hey, what you see before you, you can improve upon, right? I have a relative, a young lady that she uh, works in Ohio, and uh, there's an entrepreneur there. He wrote a book called The Answer is Yes, What is the Question? And he's going towards customer service. Hey, the customer's always right. The answer is yes, what can we do to get that done? And the 3D printing is uh, an example of that. Do you mind if we talk for just for a second, sir, about uh, what's going on with us and how we are and how we have responded to the pandemic and what our what it looks like for us kind of moving forward? Absolutely. The mission indoors. Yes. Uh, we just dropped some folks off in Sioux City the other day, actually. Yeah. And uh, other parts uh, this week. So uh, the mission indoors, right? Uh, so we have to figure out how to adapt and pivot given this pandemic and its restraints and constraints uh, and continue the mission while at the same time introducing zero risk, if possible, into that equation. And it's not easy, right? I like to mention that we're writing the script as we progress from day to day. And that makes a lot of folks uneasy. You get a lot of questions. Where's the path? Said, I don't know. We're blazing the path as we speak. And the unknowns make a lot of folks uneasy. But put it in perspective. Uh, you know, think about the Spanish flu, for example. Other times in American history where it's been dark days. World Wars, one and two, for example. Uh, we've always gotten through it. So all I would say is do your part. Mitigate the risk, first of all, to yourself and your family and friends and the workplace. Social distance, wear your mask, wash your hands, right? Those simple steps. Do that. That will help us continue the mission here. And it will allow all of us to survive, right? So while we have the vaccines on the horizon, that's the good news, and hopefully... We're in the final stretch of this, uh, but it could be a little dark in that final stretch, as is customary. So do your part, I would say. 
and we will continue the mission. Anything you'd like to add, sir? Nope, other than once again, as I, as I began the, the uh, podcast, I want to thank everyone. Appreciate everyone's hard efforts to get the mission done. And most importantly, to take care of each other. Don't forget, I like to mention that we have overwhelming firepower when it comes to resources to help our airmen. Tracy Souza, Drew Maitlands, for example, more than ready to help. Our personal financial counselor, seek them out. They are here to help you. Our chaplains, our Chaplain Mashad is here full time. Take advantage of that, talk to them. They want to help you. Because if you're not ready to fight, we're not ready to fight. So have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everyone. Have a great drill, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, sir, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again, Colonel, for spending some time with PA. And as he mentioned in the interview, be sure to develop that elevator speech. You never know when you'll need it. I know I'll be working on mine. Hi, I'm Andy. That's as far as I've got. I should work on it. Let's move on to our second guest, Ms. Bobby Jo Rogers. You've seen her around. She's awesome. We're lucky to have her with us both as our SARC and militarily in FSS. For this interview, we're not six feet apart because it was over the phone. So sorry if the audio sounds a little off. But hey, adapt and overcome, right? Here she is. What's going on in the world of Sapper right now? Well, um, so Sapper and what we do and the folks that we support continues to, to happen, um, pandemic or not. And so there have been some changes that the Department of Defense has made with regards to the Sapper program to accommodate the, the restraints uh, that are imposed because of the pandemic. So um, one of the things that... Uh, that I really am happy that they did was they adjusted our paperwork. And some people might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Um, we are required by regulation to respond and to, and response means physically go to where somebody may need help. So if, if somebody wanted to report a sexual assault or even just ask questions for this themselves or a friend, um, we're expected to go meet with them. And that's not really possible all the time during this pandemic, right? It's for, for various reasons. It might not be safe for me. It may not be safe for them. We may be under, um, uh, I hate the term lockdown, but you know, when we're, we're self-isolating or we're trying to stay, stay restricted. So what the department of defense has done is they've adjusted our, the protocol for us in response. And we are actually able and allowed to do, um, telephone accompaniment. So, even, even if it gets down to the official, um, hey, I want to file an official SAPA report. And if you remind me before the end of this conversation, I'd like to chat about that, what that what I mean by official SAPA report. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, if somebody wants to, to file that official SAPA report, typically we need them in, in our presence because they have to sign the document that we have. And the DOD even converted that document and added verbiage in there for what they call COVID response. And that's where I, as the SARC or one of our victim advocates would um, sign under the COVID response and check that it was a COVID response so that there would be that documentation that it wasn't a, 
a normal in-person type of a response. So um, very stoked that they did that. Um, as you know, different parts of the country have been up and down with the pandemic. So where we may have been a little more safe, uh, Penobscot County, all of our services, all of our community services have continued to do in-person accompaniment through this, but we're the only ones in the entire state of Maine. Wow. Um, and then throughout the country even. So by having that COVID response piece uh, within our protocols now, it allows us um, as a program far and wide uh, to respond no matter what and provide support as best we can given the circumstances. Well, which is huge, right? Because um, because of everything going on, we have to remain flexible. So even though even though you guys have been kind of you've been kind of given um, permission or, or authorized to do these, I guess digital digital. Um, conversations minus the official reporting right um that's going to be a little, a little bit tricky on your end because i would think that during the whole process you know meeting face to face and picking up on body language and and other cues and other forms of communication is probably key in what you do right it absolutely is um and that is definitely one of the things that we each you know working with somebody each time in person or not, every time is going to be a challenge because everybody's experience is different. We might apply the same term, sexual assault or sexual abuse, to what happened to somebody, but everybody's experience is different. Um, and so it is tough enough doing it in person. Uh, and when you get into, like you said, on the phone or even if we're on a, a, you know, a FaceTime call or a Zoom call, it's still not being able to read the body language and those sorts of things and you know for some people it just doesn't work um i think throughout this pandemic people have even given their shot at um uh, telehealth type counseling right therapy counseling and for some people that video chat works for others it doesn't um and so we'll make we'll find a way to make it work um as i said penobscot county we can still do in-person accompaniment uh and as long as we're being safe will always support the victim the best the best that we can for what is best for them at that moment and, and what about your your advocates are they is, are they kind of restricted to that same protocol or can they can they meet face to face um no absolutely so we're not restricted to that protocol necessarily we we are following whatever the cdc guidance is for the area at the time um if we have a member say who lives in connecticut or massachusetts um, I probably couldn't go do an in-person accompaniment with them right now because to go to Massachusetts, I have to quarantine for 14 days, right? And then to come back to Maine, I have to quarantine. And the victim advocates would have to follow that same protocol. Um, so we're not restricted to only over-the-phone accompaniments, but it, it's something that's been given to us as an option so that our the folks who want to work with us have that option as well. Okay. Um, but yes, the victim advocates absolutely do follow the same protocol. Um, and work work with with our folks that way. Yes. So in regards to training, like so with with Sapper training, um, which is something that is is a, it's a reoccurring thing every year. Has, has anything changed on that front with everything going on? So with the Sapper training, we we kind of had to pivot on that one. Um, for starters, the, the training came out late, and that's just kind of one of those things that happened. We always have to wait a few months for it, and then this year it was a little bit longer because, boom, as they were getting ready to release it, COVID hits, and then what do we do? Because this was training developed for face-to-face -face communication. Um, and so at the beginning of the, the training year in April when we the curriculum was released, uh, we kind of 
tossed around ideas, myself, uh, Master Sergeant Kimball down at Spangs, and a couple of other folks who have helped with the training in the past, and we just said, okay, what are some ways that we can do this to um, help facilitate the training and make sure that the information gets out there? And there were a couple of different um, opportunities out there. I really like the Sapper Bingo, and the Com Flight actually took advantage of that when we were in our COVID lull, I call it, you know, when we could still kind of be in a room with masks on, but, you know, we didn't have to do it virtual so they did the sapper bingo and it really worked out neat it it allowed for the commander to give his take on why the sapper program is important to the to the wing and to him personally and it gave the um because it was training that was happening with the sark in the room it gave folks an opportunity to ask questions and ask questions that they don't typically ask during um the face-to-face training when it's more facilitated uh, so that actually worked out really well and I got a lot of positive feedback from that um, another thing that we put out there if you haven't done it yet you will soon most likely is the um, the commander's talking points were sent out to each member uh, for a lot of the units with a message from their commander and then we're all required to go and do um, a knowledge check. Now that knowledge check, that requirement for that knowledge check is not an Air Force requirement. That was a, how do we make sure that our folks are getting this information, right? Because if you just toss out a PDF to somebody or a flyer and say, here, read this, and then your training is done, they may never read it. And the information is important. Um, And so by having that knowledge check in there and having a required score, then we know that folks are actually reading the information. They may not be happy about it because, you know, who wants to read more information? Um, But we know that they're reading it. And that's, you know, one of the things that I don't think that people um, in general, I'm saying people in general, kind of put together, you know, when we do our, when we're not in a COVID environment, our annual training is 15 to 20 minutes a quarter with the commander for commander's talking points. So you're already going an hour to an hour and 20 minutes right there just for commander's talking points. And then we have the face-to-face requirement and that's usually an hour to an hour and a half once a year. So when you look at that, that's approximately three hours of training that's required every year for our SACR annual refresher training, sitting down and reading a few PDFs and answering some questions that might take you an hour-ish, depending on how well you read and comprehend and whether I developed the questions so that they weren't too confusing, and I hope that I did. Um, You're still putting in less time, but getting the information. Um, And I will say that that opened up a lot of avenues for communication as well. I've had a lot of people who have reached out to me to say, hey, I just read this in the training. I'd like to ask a few questions. Um, I even had somebody in our senior NCO ranks who reached out and said, hey, uh, you know, how come I never knew about the Maine Air National Guard 24-hour hotline, Um, which, you know, led to a conversation to have with the senior NCO that this hotline has existed for quite a few years. And and just that, that gave me an opportunity to also say, okay, what do we need to do better to get that information out to you? Because if you didn't even know this existed and we've had it for some time, what are we doing incorrectly or what, what could we do in addition or do better to help with that? So this year's training, you know, we pivoted. Everybody did a great job. Um, our numbers are fairly decent. We still have folks that need to get it done. But I think that it 
gave us opportunities that we haven't had in the past um and it opened up some some extra lines of communication that may not have been there otherwise and i think it's been it's been tricky obviously for everybody 2020 has turned out to be quite the um adapt and overcome type of type of year but yeah it, it is crazy but for you um especially being um a one-person shop essentially and then and then of course you have your advocates as well and then on top of that you have another hat where you are also in the you you just recently um enlisted into the to the, to the main air guard so that's pretty exciting i did yeah that's awesome um thank you you've got all that as well you got those two hats so you kind of have to you kind of have to adapt and overcome within themselves with, with everything going on. Um, it's, yeah. it's pretty wild, but, uh, so you're busy and you just closed on the house. So that's even crazier, but. Um, right. Yeah. I like to think of this as, uh, our, our domestic deployment, right? Um, we train, we train hard. We put on chem suits. We go into mop four. We train to do stuff that we don't want to ever do. And then we get on a plane and we fly, to other countries far, far away from home, and we do all this craziness, all in the name of protecting people's rights, all in the name of keeping our country safe or our state safe, all in the name of helping to protect other people. Whatever that particular mission is, we we go and we do things that are totally uncomfortable, that require us to consistently be pivoting, you know, basically our heads on a swivel, right? Um, and we do that. Well, now we're in a position where we have to do that at home. We're having to, um, like it or not, uh, wear masks, do in-person accompaniments even when it may not be safe, or do over-the-phone accompaniments when it may not be comfortable, Um, telework, not telework, make people wear masks and use hand sanitizer and take a temperature before they come in the building, you know, whatever these these things are looking like, we've had to pivot and do things that aren't particularly comfortable, all for the greater good, Uh, and I think that from a sapper perspective, I think that the folks in the main Air National Guard, in the main the main National Guard as a whole, I think we've done fairly well in in meeting that challenge, um, and I'm very proud to be a part of all of that for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and that brings up an inter- interesting point. Um, I talked about uh, this with somebody on our podcast uh, back in March or April. From my perspective, that you know, you mentioned this is kind of like a deployment at home. Um, I, I had kind of related this 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 whole uh, scenario and, and um, pandemic to uh, to a deployment, and, that, and my my reasoning behind all that was that um, you know we as human beings, when we're put in these situations where um, it's kind of an extreme situation and it's out of our norm. Um, just like a deployment, um, your true colors are going to show. And I think that with you guys, with you and some of the, um, I guess is the technical term, you, like you, Drew and Tracy, you guys are like support services. Is that right? Or is it my... Yeah, support services, helping agencies. Okay. We're often referred to as, yeah. So with you, with you, guys, with, with you guys in particular, um, you know, looking out for your wingmen, um, which isn't just your responsibility, it's, it's everybody's responsibility. Um, and, and, and keeping that at the forefront of your mind that, um, you know, looking out for your coworker and, and your subordinates or even your your supervisors or, or, or your superiors, um, you know, in time. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. If I can interrupt yeah, 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 for oh, a yeah, quick second. Yeah, yeah. I actually yeah. um, kind of put that out to our leadership at the pre-drill meeting. Um, and for anybody who's listening to this right now, what I would like you to, to kind of keep in mind is that every one of us that puts that uniform on is a human being. And human beings have a psyche and we process life the way our brain tells us we're going to process life. 
And what I would like everybody to remember is that we have Mr. Matlins, we have Tracy, we have myself, we have commanders. Commanders are commanders because they are supposed to lead and they are human beings and they all have lots on their plates. So while we're all thinking about looking out for our junior airmen and taking care of them, and we absolutely have to do that, let's keep in mind too that our leadership folks, they're taking care of those junior airmen and we need to make sure somebody's taking care of them as well. So ask your commander, ask your supervisor, you know, every once in a while, hey, how are you holding up? Hey, how are things going? What are you doing to make this easier on yourself and your family? Have that conversation, that same conversation that we tend to tell our leadership to to project that down downward we need to to make sure we're projecting that upward as well you see it uh you see it driving on the road everyone's at their freight ends whether it's lack of sleep or stress or they've got a family member who's been diagnosed with with COVID 19 or whatever the case may be um it kind of you know i kind of relate that to what you guys are there and you guys are the professionals where you don't know what the other person is going through. Um, you know, a year ago we had the tactical pause and it's kind of, this, it's all in the same wheelhouse, you know, to stop and take a second and ask, you know, ask yeah. your, ask your coworker, ask your family member, whoever, or a stranger, Hey, is everything going okay? Everything all right? Pay it forward at Dunkin' Donuts, whatever. Um, you know, it makes a big difference, but, uh, that's interesting. But yeah. Uh, so, so that's good. So you guys, um, you know, with, it's good to hear what your office and what you are doing, um, during this pandemic. And, but really the whole reason why I wanted you on this podcast, this episode was that to kind of get the information out and the, the overarching theme is that you are here and you're still available and you're, you're still, um, pushing forward on all pistons type of thing. Um, so, uh, what are some things that our, what are some things that you would like the listeners other than what you've already said to know and to understand moving forward? I would like them to be reminded that we are here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, the hotline number, the 24 hour response hotline number is 207-307-5466. That will be manned 24 seven by either myself or one of our victim advocates. My work cell phone number my government cell phone number is 207-631-5189 you can always call me directly on that Um, i will get back to you as soon as possible Um, if you leave me a message or if i see a missed call i will always respond to that as well so i want to make sure that they understand um how to get in touch with me that's super important the other thing that i wanted to um kind of refresh everybody's memory this was one of the big things that came up I, I talked earlier about the annual training and how it opened up some lines of communication and people asking questions saying hey I never knew that um, there's we have a lot of training to do and I would be lying if I said I never check out when I go to training fact is we all do we've got a lot on our plates and sometimes we just miss the information because we've got a lot going on and our brains just check out Um, But one of the things that has come up a lot this year that is not new is that SAPR services are actually available for family members as well. Now, there's some stipulation to that, right? So if it's a if it's a dependent who is under 18, that is that's a mandatory report. That's child abuse. That's child sexual abuse. Um, whichever lane that's going to fall in, it's still a mandatory report. But for any dependents who are 18 and over, so spouses or children dependents who are still going to college and are still considered a dependent in in the 
milpedias or i'm sorry in the deer system um they are eligible for sapper services as well and if a family member would like sapper services they can call those same numbers that i i put out just a few minutes ago and they are not required to go through their service member sponsor so let's say um college student 21 year old dependent would like to get advocacy services and do a restricted report they can call me directly they do not have to go through their parent and i can support them and provide advocacy services to them um if that's what they would like uh, so so just if you don't know it already put this into your your thinking cap and just kind of remember that sapper services are available for um dependents as well as long as they're over 18 years old wow yeah see i didn't, I didn't know that either um which makes sense it makes sense to me that that would be the case uh, yeah wow and I, you know and you mentioned your phone numbers and uh, I'll, I'll be sure to put those um in the in the link to the description of this podcast but uh that way, for, as like a, a quick reference but yeah no that's good to know is there is there anything you'd like to add i think that, i think that's good i think i've thrown a lot at you folks today and i appreciate you giving me the time and the space to actually talk about these things so that people are aware that we are still, as you said, running on all pistons. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no and we appreciate you coming on and doing this. And we should try and do this as a reoccurring thing, especially it's an ever-changing world that seems like not only with within the military, but in the sapper world as well. So absolutely. Thank you, and and uh, we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thanks again to both Colonel Barassa and Bobby Joe for taking time out of their busy schedules to talk. A lot of important information to digest. Drill is here. Excuse me, hybrid drill is here. The perfect time for some training. Be sure to jump onto ADLS, TBA, all those fun places and get yourself in the green. Check us out on social media by searching 101STARW, where you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Google Play, and of course iTunes and Divids. And check out our recruiters pages as well. Invite your friends to follow them, help spread the word, and pass around that secret sauce. Stay safe during the holidays. Is your house on fire, Claw? No, Bethany, those are Christmas lights. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and can I say it? Am I, am I allowed to say it? I'm going to say it. We'll see you all next year. <laughs>